Stu Does America. Welcome to it. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Stu to save 10 bucks. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, give a like to the video. We'd appreciate it. Considering we're doing this from home today, I mean, the least you could do is click like. We would definitely, I mean, that would make us happy. We're at the Lisa Page Made Me Do It Studios, the podcast studios, which I have the bright pink sign behind me. Uh, and uh, it's my wife's podcast studio. We're home today. And that's because there's some ice on the ground, some snow on the ground. Um, that's not normal here in Texas. And believe me, believe me, that's apparent uh, here, by the way, that we're dealing with it. Apparently, I don't know, maybe tomorrow, the next day, it's supposed to get over 32 degrees and maybe some of this will go away. And that is our only defense. There's no other pathway to freedom in this state right now. We are in lockdown like you were in lockdown in March 2020. That's right. That is where we are right now, as you can barely I haven't seen one car pass by. The only the only vehicle I, I saw today was, uh, yes, they say it. Rain, sleet, that whole thing. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the mailman. That's it. That's all I've seen all day. So it's been one of those days. And we are happy that you're bearing with us as we're doing the program from home. And I hope you're excited today because I hope you I kind of hope you put Maybe you're getting your party decorations ready. You're getting excited because, yes, the COVID national emergency is soon to be over. Only three years, one month, 28 days. Uh, that's it. Or maybe 1,154 days since uh, March 13th, 2020, when this was put on. May 11th, 2023 is when it's supposedly going to be lifted, though. Are you confident in that? I know I'm not. The White House is planning to end the COVID-19 national emergency and public health emergency on May 11th. The declarations have been extended multiple times since enacted by the Trump administration in 2020. Ending the emergency declaration could have implications for funding for tests and vaccines, as well as impact uh, impacting other pandemic-related policies. Congress has already been pushing back on ex efforts to extend programs that had been tied to the pandemic. And this is one of those things where... You know, we have a healthcare system, and I know a lot of the people on the left don't like it all that much. Yeah, a lot of people on both sides don't like it all that much sometimes. It's a little bit of a pain to deal with. It's not the easiest thing in the world. Sure, single payer would be like, oh, we just all make appointments, you know, six, seven years in advance, and, mo you know, most of us die in the interim. I mean, it would make the, si the system a lot more simple. But that's not the sim system that we have. What we have is a mishmash of all sorts of various things. And when it comes to getting your COVID stuff paid for, this will probably change the way uh, it, go, it happens going forward. It seems like the vaccines will still be covered if you care about that sort of thing. If you care about uh, some of the oral treatments that are available, those probably will be going through your insurance. It looks like, you know, I mean, look, we have a, we have a healthcare system here that is generally private. And the fact that we've gone three years here where the government is paying for all these treatments to me it doesn't make any sense. Maybe it made sense in those first few weeks. All right. You know, maybe it made sense. Uh, there's some understandable things that happened at the beginning of COVID that really nobody wanted to occur, uh, at least you know, this side of AOC. I mean, I, you know, AOC, of course, wants government power to be able to do whatever they want, whenever they want to you for really whatever reason. I'm kind of the opposite of that. I, I want it to be the absolute last resort and pretty much don't ever want it to be utilized. So it's been a tough couple of years. I know that you might say, well, it's, what do you mean it's going to end May 11th, 2023? Do you mean May 11th, 2020, or maybe even 2021? 
No, no, May 11th, 2023. They want to wind this down slowly is at least their excuse for this. And we've spent trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And as we went through the election here this past uh, November, one of the things we talked about was, you know, look, the Republicans aren't going to really be able to do all that much. I mean, as 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 boring as that is, is 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 as terrible of a concept that may be. The end game for Republicans when they're in power in just the House by a few votes is really, really minimal. The one thing they can do, though, is investigate things. They can look into uh, come up with an investigation on the origins of COVID, which it seems like they will do. Another thing is they can look at how much of this five, six trillion dollars wound up getting wasted and who is the beneficiary of that waste. Now, look, a lot of the stuff, it's never going to make everybody happy, right? conservatives look at this and say, well, I think all, you know, they broadly look at the COVID reaction and say a lot of this was faulty and a lot of this was uh, money uh, poorly spent. And and there's a good argument for a lot of that. However, there's also more than just that. It's not just, hey, we think this treatment um, was overblown and we wasted money on it and I'm upset about that. It's also like billions and billions of dollars going to people who didn't deserve it at all. $5.4 billion in COVID aid may have gone to firms using suspect social security numbers. The findings are from the nation's top pandemic watchdog coming as uh, House Republicans plan to hold their first hearing this week on coronavirus-related fraud. And there's a lot of coronavirus-related fraud. The top uh, watchdog is called PRAC, the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee. Always so, so very very just it just rolls off the the tongue all these acronyms um this was uh, shared with the washington post earlier today uh, republicans of course are looking to investigate this five trillion dollars in federal stimulus and want to see what happened to it maybe that's something we should do when we spend five trillion dollars maybe know where it went some of it can we know where some of it went oh, yeah how about all of it how about all of it is that too much to ask um the money of course use uh, served as a wellspring for criminal activity according to the post and malicious, malicious actors took advantage of the Small Business Authority and its poor oversight to bilk Washington out of seemingly massive sums. In the latest example, PRAC found that the SBA failed to prevent a wave of applications from collecting federal money using su- suspect social security numbers. And it's not all stuff like this, you know. Again, like you might say, well, I don't, I don't like the vaccines and I don't like that they spent money on the vaccines or I don't like masks and I don't like that they spent money on masks. That's not really what they're even looking at. So don't get too excited. What they're looking at is stuff like this, where firms sometimes that didn't even exist, companies that didn't even have uh, businesses getting tons of money that they couldn't. And we did monologues on this earlier uh, a few months ago on this program, t- telling you all these scams that went on, you know, talking about uh, organizations that supposedly were feeding kids but weren't feeding any kids, uh, organizations uh, that filed multiple business loan applications when they didn't even have businesses stuff like that's going to be on the table and i wonder if if it's going to be escalated to stuff like what's going on in rhode island in rhode island uh, they had 10 million dollars of extra extra coronavirus money now what should happen with extra covid money my thought is maybe it goes back to the government and then maybe back in our pockets I'm just, uh, you know, maybe pay back whoever you borrowed it from, because we all know it's not real money. It was all printed 
But wherever we borrowed it from, wherever we just put it back, uh, that would be my recommendation because we wasted so much money. But Rhode Island said, hey, we've got this extra $10 million. No one's coming to us for tests or anymore, like the things that we were supposed to be using it for. So what if we use it for, and I kid you not, what if we use it for reparations? That is what the state of Rhode Island is doing with the COVID money. $10 million, they're dumping into something they're calling reparations. Now, of course, reparations are, are to me, blatantly wrong, uh, unconstitutional in many ways. Uh, punishing people who are alive today for the sins of their great, 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 great grandparents, or, and also just people who had nothing to do with it whatsoever, maybe lived in another country at the time, and giving it to people who are the descendants of potentially slaves, or potentially just people who have the same color skin as slaves once did, or potentially people who had absolutely nothing to do with it. Maybe their relatives lived in a totally different country at the time. Of course, this is idiotic. It makes no sense whatsoever. And you can't actually do it. You can't just take money from COVID and dish it out to reparations programs. What you can do is act like act like you're doing it uh, without racial bias. Act as if this was a just a program to help people and call it reparations publicly in your sort of PR releases about it. Then you get the credit for doing reparations from the far left and you're scamming the government out of money that everyone else uh, you know, really does not. We don't have any more room for inflation at this point. Maybe, I don't know, returning the money would have been the best case. But this is what's going on. And I wonder if this is going to be part of the of the actual uh, investigations going on by Republicans. Now, you might say, well, a few billion dollars here and there. Well, it's not. It's a ton of money. Uh, we don't know how much yet. But would you be surprised if a trillion dollars were wasted? Would you be tr surprised if two trillion dollars were wasted of the five or six trillion dollars? I wouldn't be stunned. And it's going to be really, really ugly as they start going through this. You're going to see a lot of these stories and a lot of, a lot of, oh, that's old news. Oh, that's an isolated incident. Oh, come on. It was a crazy time. All that might be true, but we better make sure the people who did that are accountable. Not only because I want people who commit crimes to be accountable, but also so we do not go down these roads again. We cannot go down these roads again. We cannot do this again. There will be another pandemic, probably in our lifetimes. We have to protect future generations, our kids, our ki grandkids, from any of this stuff happening to them again. Remember, they were shutting down churches. They were saying you couldn't have drive-up worship services outdoors because of this pandemic. Completely unacceptable. Now, you might say, well, look, crazy time. A lot of money went out the door. There's going to be some fraud. We understand that, but at least we were able to help uh, everybody who needed it. And of course, the answer to that is, no, you didn't. Because you think the most basic things that could have happened. What are the things that you need? You need to be able to pay your bills. You need to be able to stay in your home, which of course they did the eviction moratorium, I would argue. That was also unconstitutional, but they did that too. They did all sorts of different things to make sure your life was a little bit better in this tough time. Um, okay, fine. However, there was also 6 million people who lost their power during the pandemic. Now, this was the precisely the type of thing that was supposed to be paid for by your trillions of dollars. By the way, thank you for donating those trillions. Those trillions of dollars that you wound up, uh, you're going to wind up paying for for the rest of your life. That was supposed to go to make sure, you know, people's power could be held on. They couldn't go to their jobs. They were home. It was cold. It was hot. Whatever it was, they needed power. Six million people didn't even get their power to remain on through this, despite the fact that you spent six 
trillion dollars. And why? Well, a lot of it went to fraud. A lot of it went to uh, stuff that had nothing to do with COVID-19 whatsoever. A lot of it is going to places like reparations now. And we have the story of an Illinois school district worker who's accused of taking $1.5 million in chicken wings. Now, as a man who's taken Jeffy out to lunch uh, several times uh, and did again recently, it is possible to spend $1.5 million on chicken wings. That I can tell you that is possible. But I don't know, maybe when they order the 10th and 11,000th cases of chicken wings, perhaps, perhaps maybe alarm bells should have gone on that that was not uh, exactly the right thing. This is the problem. No one takes this stuff seriously. So often we have that sort of sort of uh, bumper sticker slogan that the left loves to use, never let a crisis go to waste. This was a big crisis. You know, look, it was a really tough time. Uh, at the beginning, we really didn't know what was coming. We didn't know. I mean, everyone likes to say now that they knew exactly what they what to do. It was tough at the time. I, you know, I, you know, people are critical of Trump and the critical of Trump was critical of DeSantis over this uh, recently, how they handled this in the weeks after the pandemic. Look, if all this story was, was a few weeks of the pandemic uh, and things slowing down slash shutting down while people were trying to figure out what was going on. Honestly, we wouldn't be talking about it still to this day. It would be a big issue. It shouldn't happen like that. All these things should be optional. And in many places they were. I mean, we mentioned South Dakota, Iowa often. Those are two sort of, uh, you know, headline cases that didn't really uh, come up with any of these res restrictions and shutdowns even at the time. And a lot of those people, people from those states that might be running for president are going to be pointing that out to Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis saying, hey, you guys did X, Y and Z when we didn't. So, you know, look, I think those people deserve credit for those things. But when you look at this from 50,000 feet, you can we can all, I think, deal with some of this stuff at the very beginning. I didn't want it. Uh, it's not the way the government's supposed to ask, act. But I mean, we've you know mentioned this millions of times. Now, all the, the location data from uh, cell phones shows that people went into lockdown, basically. They did not leave their homes in the weeks leading up to the lockdowns. It, it, was, it was America saying, we want to get the hell out of this situation until we figure out what the deal is. Now, of course, Americans also led out of the pandemic before the government said, excuse me, out of the uh, lockdowns before the government said that was okay. Americans kind of made these decisions for themselves. In blue states, they made those decisions much, much later. And of course, there were some governors who decided to wield power, particularly in blue states, long after it was even mildly rational. But like at the beginning, some of, some of the stuff can be understood. Where we wound up getting is something that has to be stopped for future generations. You can't allow this to be the standard. You know, we have people who are flying all over the world every single day. Salesmen, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, politicians flying all around the world all the time. We are in a global economy, whether you like it or not. People are just all over the place. At some point, someone's going in and going to have some bat soup. Maybe this didn't come from bat soup this time. Someone's going to have it in the future. We still have a situation where gain-of-function research is still legal. People are doing it around the country, around the world. That is still a thing. No, we're not funding it maybe anymore from the federal government level, but would you even be surprised to say to learn that we were? The bottom line here is that this is risky stuff. Even natural outbreak is still possible. Eventually, we're going to have another situation like this. And if we don't set these lines brightly, we're going to repeat all these mistakes again. People will, I was surprised how, how quickly people were willing 
to go and deal, you know, listen to these lockdowns and give in to them. Uh, you know, as I said, they kind of at first were the leaders. I mean, people were like, screw this. I don't want to go to an NBA game right now. Eventually, though, that changed and people wanted out. And that happened not in May 2023, but in May 2020, in June and July 2020, certainly by mid 2021. And yet still the government is out there bilking us out of God knows how much money to pay for all this pandemic spending. These lines need to be drawn. Accountability needs to occur. And we need to make sure that the future generations, our kids, our grandkids, don't have to deal with this in the same way. We'll see uh, how that goes here in the coming weeks. Republicans, you know, they only have a little bit of power, but this is something they do have power to focus on. We were supposed to talk to Rand Paul on the radio today, but so many technical uh, scenarios uh, wound up getting in our way. But Rand Paul has been leading this effort, and he's going to be doing that in the Senate. The House is going to be doing the same thing. Hopefully, we'll get some answers coming soon. But until then, just take it to the bank. 100% certain this is really going to go away on May 11th, 2023. I have no doubts in my mind. Everybody celebrate. It's finally here. The end of the pandemic. So imagine your pet suffering because of a poor diet and being able, unable to tell you about it. Um, I know everybody wants to avoid that. Um, so let me, let me give you another path here. I have a dog who's right outside the door here, uh, Miles. He's 165,000 years old. I don't know. He's like, he's like a fossil. It's like they, they dug him up in an archaeological dig. He's very, very old. And he doesn't get around all that well anymore, though he's still chugging. And he loves the longevity formula from Paw Made. It's an all-natural health supplement for dogs made with 23 dog-friendly superfoods to keep your dog healthy and strong. And look, you know, it's one thing to have all this healthy stuff for dogs. It's another thing for them to actually want to eat it. That's what goes on with Paw Made. Uh, longevity formula contains a special toxin-fighting uh, nutrient to protect your dog so they can live a happy, long life by your side. And right now, there is a limited time offer exclusively for listeners of this particular wonderful program. For every purchase of Longevity Formula for your dog, you'll receive a free bottle of Paw Mate's hip and joint formula, too. As you know, I have a, Miles is a pug. Their hips, their joints are terrible. Classically have all sorts of problems with them. Uh, you need to get as much help as you can. Anything that's going to help make the pain a little bit less for an older dog, especially, is, is something really important. So check it out. Claim your offer now. Go to pawmade.com slash stew, pawmade.com slash stew, or call 833-PAW-MADE. It's P-A-W-M-A-D-E, pawmade.com slash stew, pawmade.com slash stew, or 833-PAW-MADE. All right. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons from the COVID period was what actually happened in our education system and uh, honestly, how we're going to deal with this going forward. I want to bring in Corey DeAngelis. He's a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children and the author of a new piece over at Fox News as well. You got to check out Iowa, just uh, just uh, the latest government school domino to fall. And there's nothing teachers unions can do about it. I, I love that attitude. We'll, uh, we'll tweet out a link here shortly. Corey, thanks so much for coming on the program. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Stu. Uh, I appreciate you doing this and all the work you've been doing. Um, let me start with, for people who don't kind of understand this debate, maybe haven't focused on this all that much, uh, before we get into where this is working and where it may be able to catch on in the future, 
What's the difference between the typical public school system that we kind of maybe are all familiar with and this idea of money following the students and uh, not not uh, the systems? Yeah, in the current situation, the funding for your child, about $16,000 per student on average in the United States, goes directly to a government school building, regardless of your choice and regardless of what uh, parents have to say about it. School choice initiatives just allow that funding to follow the student to wherever they want to get an education. So if you like your public school, you can keep your public school for real this time. But if not, <laughs> you can take a portion of that funding. It's typically typically about half, seven or 8,000 to the education provider of your choice. That could be a private school, a charter school, or a home-based education option. And like you pointed out, we're having a universal school choice revolution over the past couple of years. And it's the teachers union's own fault and there's nothing they can do about it. They're losing control over other people's children, and it's absolutely glorious. <laughs> uh, what, 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 is the, what percentage of this uh, revolution is sparked by what we saw during COVID when parents were home, all of a sudden seeing very closely what their kids were being taught? I mean, this is a large portion of it. A lot of the families who thought that their kids were in great public schools, whether it was because the schools were A-rated by the state, or maybe their kids were coming home with A's on their report cards or high standardized test scores, those fa those same families started to see another dimension of school quality that's arguably more important, which is whether that school's curriculum aligns with your values. And Vody Bauckham said it best. We cannot continue sending our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Well, the good news over the past couple of years is that the parents aren't surprised anymore. They've woken up and they've, they're never going back to sleep. In 2021, we dubbed that the year of school choice because 19 states enacted or expanded programs to fund students as opposed to systems. And then in the next year, in 2022, Arizona said, screw it, we're going all in. And every single family is now eligible to take their kids' education dollars to the education provider of their choosing, public, private, charter, uh, homeschool, or otherwise. And that was the, the first state to go all in. And now we've had three others since then, four states total now. The dominoes are starting to fall and it's glorious that we've, we have over 25 states across the country right now with bills that are being considered to fund students directly as opposed to the system. And there's a lot of uh, friendly competition emerging right now among red states in particular. Florida, which has led school choice for a long time uh, nationally, has a bill to go all in as well. House Bill 1, it's supported by the Speaker of the House. And the Senate president and Governor DeSantis is obviously a uh, he's America's governor. But once that once he signs this into law, he'll be the uh, the governor of parental rights and education, the parents governor. Well, anytime we can get a Vody Bauckham quote on, I'm, I'm fully behind that. I love him. Um, this is a, it really is a revolution and something that's really exciting. I feel like it's been on the wish list for conservatives and libertarians for many, many years and is. It's always been one of those things that feels like it's really popular with voters, popular with parents. People inherently understand, even if they want to keep their kids in public school, they want to be able to have that choice. And I know as a, as a parent who sends their kids to private school, you know, I just have to pay this money for nothing. I mean, I'm literally just sitting here paying tax dollars for absolutely nothing. My kids aren't even utilizing these systems at all. It's terrible. And I, I, I hope Texas is on the list here as well uh, as a state that's going to be doing something about this soon. 
Yeah, I just moved to Texas. I actually grew up in San Antonio. I'm back in Texas now. And although the Texas Federation of Teachers, the uh, teachers union organization that's affiliated with uh, Randy Weingarten's AFT, blocked me on Twitter, but they won't be able to block me in real life. I'll be showing up at the Texas Capitol in favor of education freedom policies. Governor Abbott has come out in support of school choice like he never has before. He said during the campaign that this will be the most powerful push for school choice in Texas history. I met with him, I believe him. It is a top eight GOP legislative priority this session. And 88% of Texas Republican primary voters support school choice that they put on the ballot in March of 2022. That's up eight percentage points since they last put it on the ballot in Texas in uh, 2018. So the momentum is on our side. Um, it's a Republican Party platform issue in Texas and all across the country. And again, these red states are engaging in this friendly competition and they're going big. They're not pushing for incremental reforms. They're mostly pushing for allowing all families to have a choice. And they should. You're right. Families shouldn't have to pay twice. They shouldn't have to pay through the property tax system for the public school. If they're not using it. That money should follow their kid to a private school. Just imagine if you didn't like your your nearest grocery store. And in order to start shopping somewhere else, you either had to move houses or pay for new groceries at another location and then not getting the ones at the old location. That wouldn't make any sense. That's a total monopoly system that controls the public schools today. And the best way to inject competition into that system and to improve outcomes for everybody is to have the money follow the student. Then the schools will have an incentive to cater to the needs of families as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, it really does feel like this will have, you know, benefits not only for the kids who leave and find a better private school, but for the kids left over. They're now going to have some competition here to, and, and maybe that will improve public schools as well, which would be a good secondary benefit. Um, the first few states that went through this, you mentioned Arizona was kind of the, the first one. West Virginia and Iowa have crossed this barrier as well, um, really with all I think all out efforts, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um the next dominoes to fall and what should we be looking for here coming up yeah florida already has house bill one passed through their education subcommittee in the house uh passed 13 to 4 actually with one democrat in support as well um three mm. the th- three other democrats voted against it but it easily passed through their education subcommittee it has the backing of the leadership in each chamber and the governor so i see florida being the next domino to fall uh, you also looking at other states that have GOP trifectas, having the Republicans control each chamber and the governor's office, because, look, the reality is, although Democrats on the ground, the voters support school choice, there's no this is, shouldn't be a partisan issue. The reality is unions like Randy Weingarten's disproportionately fund Democrats in elected office. Ninety nine percent of her campaign contributions from AFT went to Democrats in the 2022 cycle. And that's nothing new that has been around for decades where uh, the teachers unions own a lot of the Democrats in elected office. Uh, But look, other red states like Oklahoma, Governor Stitt's been a big proponent here. Nebraska might finally have their two thirds majority needed to overcome a filibuster in their unicameral legislature. They have 31 co-sponsors signed on to a school choice bill that's pretty massive, and they need 33 votes to get that two thirds majority. And usually the co-sponsor list is a lower bound of how many votes you're gonna get. So I think they'll be able to do it in Nebraska. South Carolina passed an education savings account bill last year through each chamber and then it stalled because they disagreed about what the program is gonna look like. This year, I think there'll be a little bit of disagreements, but I think they'll be able to get something across the finish line 
because I think one chamber wanted to go bigger than the other chamber. You'll have those kind of conversations this year, too. But Ellen Weaver just got elected state superintendent of public instruction in South Carolina, and she's going to be pushing school choice. She's a huge free market advocate overall. Uh, Wyoming has a bill that's universal, and they have 44 co-sponsors signed on already, already, so I'm hopeful there. um, Indiana and Ohio have a good shot at going all in. Uh, Texas, Governor Abbott's calling to fund all students directly and, and allow for school choice. So this is really exciting. And I hope that once more red states go in and when, when more of the, the Republicans lean into this as a political winner, it will become more politically disastrous for Democrats to oppose it. It's a really popular policy. And once people start using this, these initiatives, if you try to take that away, Parents like school choice in general, but once they really get school choice, they fight even harder. They fight like hell against people who try to take school choice away from them. We saw this in DeSantis's 2018 uh, gubernatorial election where the Wall Street Journal opinion uh, piece by Bill Maddox at the James Madison Institute noted that school choice moms tipped the governor's race in Florida in 2018 because DeSantis's opponent was actually against the private school scholarship program that disproportionately benefited minority students and low-income students. Well, that turns uh, a lot of families into single-issue voters. They want their kids to get a better education and a better shot at life. Uh, so this is a political winner. It's the right thing to do. And some Democrats have started to uh, defect on this issue. I saw Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania. He changed his education platform right before the midterms to include education savings accounts. Now you could say, well, maybe he's just you know reading the tea leaves. He's just wanting to win the election. Doesn't matter the reason. As Milton Friedman said famously, it's not about putting the right people into office. It's about making it politically profitable for the wrong people to do the right thing. It's now becoming profitable politically for the wrong people to do the right thing when it comes to school choice. And I think we'll see widespread bipartisan support, hopefully in the near future, but it's going to it's going to depend on the GOP becoming the parents' party first. That's mm, yeah, uh, very, very uh, good developments here. we got about one minute left here, Corey, before we have to go. I'm curious as to why, why you feel like you've been able to make this impact. And I know it's not just you. It's, it's thousands of parents and, and organizations around the country working hard. But like, we've gone a long time talking about school choice. And a lot of groups have been working on this for a very long time. Sure, they laid the foundations here, but you in particular have seemed to be able to come in here over the past couple of years and make a real difference for the first time. I, you know, honestly, in a yeah. long time, you feel there's a movement, there's real, there's real energy behind this. How is this happening? Well, if you're explaining, you're losing. And I think I've dumbed down the conversation about school choice as much as possible <laughs> to make it so that people understand what it is. It's, I talk about it in terms of analogies, food stamps and Pell Grants, all these other initiatives we have fund people as opposed to buildings. So for a long time, I think we were explaining too much. And if you're explaining, you're going to be stuck with the status quo, which is the government monopoly school system. But really, it is the parents. For far too long in K-12 education, the only special interest represented the employees, the adults in the system. But now, thankfully, the kids have a union of their own, and they're called parents. And they they have more power in numbers than the teachers unions, and they care about their kids more than anybody else. So they're going to win this war the unions waged on their kids for decades, once and for all. And there's not a dang thing that the teachers unions can do about it. We this is the school choice wave, a universal school choice revolution has ignited and nothing can stop it.
That's mm, really exciting stuff. Uh, and I didn't think we'd see it for decades in the future. It's happening so fast right in front of our eyes. Corey DeAngelis, senior fellow at the American Federation for Children. His piece at Fox News is Iowa, just the latest government school domino to fall. There's nothing teachers unions can do about it. Head over to uh, my Twitter at Studios America and follow Corey as well. I'll make sure to tweet out a link to the story. Corey, thanks so much for doing this, man. And, and I appreciate all the work that you're doing. Hey, thank you so much, Stu. Good talking to you. Well, we've definitely had some economic uh, challenges over the past few years. It has not been easy, and we've been, you know, many industries have struggled. One place where we are not seeing too much struggle is uh, in uh, New Mexico. Um, and New Mexico is having a bizarre rally here, and I don't think the extent of it is really understandable, at least in this one sector. It's funding, of course, the entire surrounding communities. This is this is from the Financial Times at the Burger King in, uh, outlet in central Hobbs, New Mexico. A new sign has been plastered across the front window. Now hiring cooks, cashiers apply within similar notices proliferate across the city's main shopping plaza, Pizza Hut, Little Caesars, T-Mobile, CVS, Kmart, Quick Cuts and Neighborhood Barbershop are all advertising vacancies. A boom is underway in this dusty, sun-bleached desert town. Joblessness is plunging, wages are soaring, and new tax receipts are flowing to state coffers. Driving all of it is a surge in crude oil production from the Permian Basin, a vast hydrocarbon trove that stretches across western Texas and southeastern New Mexico. And you think about Texas a lot of times when you think about um, you know, oil and you think about energy. And New Mexico for a long time, really wasn't as much part of this. I mean, they really weren't. Of course, obviously, they're sort of on the, more on the blue state side, but they, you know, they haven't been able, the people who are there and, and want to stop this have not been able to so far. And what I think is fascinating, the scale of this is, is incredible, not because just of the economy, but by the production that's actually coming out of this area. And you might think, well, how much can we come out of one state? New Mexico, there's not a ton of people who live in New Mexico. It's not a heavily populated state. I believe Walter White lives there or at least lived there. Uh, he was able to make a good amount of money on drugs. But other than that, I don't know what else goes on in New Mexico. That's my main. It's next door to Texas, but it's approximately 300 hours away in a jet. So I don't know. It's a big state. We don't really go that way that often. Um, but New Mexico, it's a nice place. And, and it has a, an economy that, you know, you think of tourism there. You think of, you know, various different things. You don't necessarily think of uh, oil as much. Well, let me show you this chart because this is the comp comparison between New Mexico and the entire country of Mexico. And we have now seen since 2014, where the state, the state of New Mexico produced almost no oil in the, in the beginning of 2014. That has now risen up and has now surpassed the entire country of Mexico. New Mexico producing more oil than old Mexico. <laughs> Now, this is weird in a bunch of different ways. Who knew, right? New Mexico was going up this fast. Again, they've probably quadrupled uh, just since 2017 their uh, oil uh, output. But the other side of this is Mexico's dropping. Now, we know this is not a state, uh, country that is uh, necessarily well run. We know all the problems they have. But they have gone down now from, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, 2.5 million barrels down to about 1.5. So you, that's a drop off of 40%, while New Mexico is up you know, about 400%. 
Um, what's interesting about this, the state of New Mexico, population 2.6 million, this comes from David Shepard, uh, 2.6 million is the population of New Mexico, now producing more oil in the country Mexico with 126.7 million people. Mexico is a member of OPEC Plus and not that long ago relied on oil revenues for a third of their federal budget. Now that's dropped by 40%. This is not good for our border situation. It's not necessarily good uh, for our overall oil um, uh, situation either. I mean, more oil is better for these markets. We'd like to have it coming from both sides, both New Mexico and Mexico. But the increase in New Mexico is really significant. It's significant that it's coming in a blue state. I think that's good news. Hopefully that continues and isn't blocked because that's usually what happens when industries start to rise like that. We will watch that closely uh, to kind of see if those patterns continue because that's a really good development. Also, I want to give you this uh, for about Louis C.K. Now, Louis C.K. was on Joe Rogan. We played a clip of the, that interview the other day. And one of the reasons he was on there is because he was doing a sold out show in Madison Square Garden. And you might think to yourself, and there's been a lot of talk about this, is cancel culture even real? If Louis C.K., who was canceled years ago, can sell out Madison Square Garden, is cancel culture real? Well, first of all, we all know cancel culture is real. Uh, the fact that he was canceled for five years over what he did, I think was, you know, again, what he did was a little icky, not uh, great. He apologized for it. Uh, he never, uh, you know, again, never talk, uh, touched anyone without their consent. He didn't, you know, he, he, his point was, well, I shouldn't have, I was in a powerful position and shouldn't have done those things uh, because I, I exerted power over these women. Again, it's a, it's a weird, it's kind of a humble brag in a way. It's a weird, odd, humble brag. Like, oh, I have all this power. I, I'm so powerful. Um, I don't know. Does a comedian have power over? I don't know. Does a comedian have powerful power over other comedians? Maybe, maybe that's true. I don't know. Not in that world, and I don't want to be in that world. But I will say, uh, he was canceled, and now he's out there doing things. But he's really rebuilt himself. There's a great story. Uh, it says Louis C.K. Uh, un uncancels himself from Jim Treacher, and you know he goes through this this storyline, and I think he's right. You know, he actually was canceled. He was thrown out. He would disappeared for multiple years, and he just decided to build this entire structure himself. If you think Louis C.K.'s funny, you can go listen to him. If you don't think he's funny, you don't go listen to him. That's the way the world's supposed to operate, but it's so totally foreign to the system that we've built for whatever reason. Doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, so it's interesting, and I think uh, I think positive. You know, you might not like Louis C.K. You might not think he's funny. You might think what he did was so uh, gross that you never want to hear think about him again. And that's at least that last point is understandable. Uh, but bigger than that is the fact that like we should have a market for people to be able to make these decisions themselves. We shouldn't be the five people at the head of these big entertainment companies saying, you're allowed to have a job, you're not allowed to have a job. The fact that you can do it yourself is a, a uniquely American response to something like this. And I think it's a positive for the country. If you like Louis C.K., you can still get your Louis C.K. If you don't like him, you don't have to give him any of your money. That's America, that's how this is supposed to work. who were definitely going to get canceled. I mean, uh, there's no doubt there's going to be a cancellation coming up 
for Alex Stein. Yes, our own Alex Stein, primetime 99, Alex Stein. He's got a new show. Now, The Blaze is not going to cancel Alex Stein because The Blaze is the type of place to come for to be able to say what you want to say, when you want to say it. And if you want to support Alex Stein, you can because you can watch his brand new show that's coming up on The Blaze, primetime 99. He is, of course, uh, the pimp on a blimp. And you right now can check out the new Alex Stein program that's coming up. It's called Primetime with Alex Stein. Say goodbye to the political correctness. Say hello to Primetime 99. He's always doing what he does. He's always out there. He's in your face. He's going to make a he's going to make a splash. And I like the fact that you can make the decision and say, hey, I want to support Alex Stein right now because you can use the promo code pimp on a blimp for 20 bucks off at blaze tv yes blaze tv.com slash primetime use the pr- promo code pimp on a blimp primetime with alex stein premieres on february 8th the promo code is pimp on a blimp save 20 bucks off at blaze tv.com slash primetime cnn has suffered its worst ratings week in nine years these are numbers that legitimately we would have been very disappointed at when we were at cnn headline news um eh. And now regular CNN is putting up these numbers. It's a catastrophe, and it's hard to know what it means, because I think normally we just would sit here and celebrate uh, CNN having terrible ratings. I'm a little hesitant to do so because, and I want to be clear on this, I believe CNN has gone from, you know, on the old school grading scale, gone from an F to a solid D minus. Like they have legitimately, and that's a big jump for CNN. It is actually a little bit better than it was a little more tolerable than it was. And I think there's part of this that's just a crossover from you had people who only went there, obviously, for such a long time um, to hear bad things about Donald Trump and how evil he was and now start hearing other things. They're not going to like it so much. So you're going to have a little bit of a crossover here. We'll see if they can put it back together. A couple of things I'll tell you tell you about here, but they're going to start to air Bill Maher and his overtime segments on Friday nights. Now, Maher famously is a liberal, okay? But the type of liberal that you know, you can actually tolerate because occasionally he'll say things that you agree with. Occasionally he'll say things that are true. He'll be critical of government power in places that he doesn't like it. He doesn't care about the parties. And that's just a positive move from what you had at CNN before, even though, you know, Bill Maher's not my favorite guy, my favorite host in the world. It's still an improvement. And let me give you this starter story. This is from uh, Daniel Dale over at CNN, who famously fact-checked every word of Donald Trump. And then at the beginning of the Biden administration, just basically turned off his efforts to do so well he's back and he has an article out fact check biden makes false and misleading claims in economic speech he goes through a bunch of the stuff but i'll give you the lead here biden's seven hundred thousand job infrastructure uh, figure which he touted in his economic speech is wildly inaccurate it adds an extra two zeros to the correct figure they go through all of this and uh look it's an important thing that this actually happens again i'm one of the people who think a good cnn would actually be good for the country i'm i hope that they can continue to improve this and get it from a d minus to a solid d or maybe even a d plus someday we're all rooting you on cnn Take a second and help make the show a success. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars when you're rating and reviewing and following the podcast. We appreciate you do that. And if you go on there and you say, hey, it's great, whatever, that's fine. We love that review. Please continue to do that. However, if you want to be more creative, we're going to definitely put you on the show. Here, let me show you how it works. The year was 1997. My dog ran into the road. A car was heading towards him. Stu appeared and yelled pit maneuver 
and kicked the car in the side. It flipped over and caught on fire. Stu picked up my dog, a golden retriever, and handed it to me. He then rescued the children from the car and taught them how to read. Share your fake Stu being a hero stories here. Well, do it. Do it just like that. And you're definitely going to get on the show. That's how this is going to work. Five stars, the appropriate number of stars. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it.